I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a <laughs> in a semi-quiet neighborhood in Baltimore as I as the uh, light rail goes by. Anyway, I'm shooting the breeze today for the last episode of 2021 for this show, um, and I'll be back next week with something else. So I'm just going to be all over the place today. I'm definitely going to talk about um, a little about our time in Canada. Um, Well, Toronto, Um, Toronto and Niagara. Um, A little bit about Insecure, that series finale. Um, I'm just going to be talking. So anyway, so... Uh, a lot of actually, actually in this last week, a lot of things have happened. Um, so I am recording the day of release of the release because I have just, that Canada trip woe me out. Um, between all of the rigmarole for getting admitted to Canada and then making sure that we were allowed back into the United States, anybody, for all of those all of you who are traveling abroad, not just from North America, from one country to the next in North America, but globally, any of you traveling abroad, y'all, y'all some bad individuals. And when I'm saying bad, what I mean is y'all, y'all, y'all are something else. Y'all are something else. Um, you bold, you real bold, because we just went to Canada and Canada and the United States, obviously, because they're on the same continent, have a different relationship, diplomatic relationship. And so, I was going to say smart people, but leaders um, for both governments decided that, you know, since we're on the same continent, it's cool. We can allow us to, you know, our citizens to flow back and forth as long as, you know, you have certain things in place, but everybody else, I don't know about y'all. I don't know how y'all be doing. Um, so, you know, we did the whole rigmarole to get into Canada, and then we were there. And, you know, one thing about this whole process is neither the Canadian nor the U.S. government are super clear about a exactly the steps like nobody did a diagram nobody did a did a one pager saying these are the steps that you need to take to get into Canada um, during this time of COVID these are the steps that you need to take for getting into the United States during this time of COVID like nobody did we was sitting there between me and my mama we were sitting there going through all the websites, CDC website, U.S. government website, uh, Canadian government website, their health authority website, just trying to piecemeal information together. And can't nobody create a one-pager? Ten easy steps. Two. I'll give you two. You don't even have to do a front and back. Give me two pages. Give me two two-pagers. Yeah, give me two one-pagers how to get in from the respective angle, how to get into Canada, how to get into the United States during COVID and all the protocol that's around because baby, it shouldn't be this hard. And one thing about it is I'm not buying. I swear to you, I'm not buying all that. This don't make sense to me. And I don't really too much care for anybody to make it make sense to me. It just feels very arbitrary that there would be different rules for entering Canada via plane than there are via boat and car. I just don't get it. And vice versa. Again, if you are entering the United States from Canada or you're entering the um, Canada from the United States, there are different rules for people who are flying versus people who are driving or taking a boat. Apparently, it, it has been deemed safer by both health authorities from those both countries to drive or take a boat into either country than it is to fly. Now, I understand, at least on the surface, that you're coming in contact probably with more international travelers or just more travelers, period, in an airport 
And so I might could give you, I might could give you, you know, the idea of having something more, a little bit astringent, something more, a little bit astringent, you know what I mean? Um, a little stricter on, on airlines. I could see you being a little bit stricter, but like not totally different. Literally, you need a PCR test. You need a PCR test during a certain time frame um, to enter Canada, and you need an antigen test during a strict time frame coming into the United States. And you don't have to do none of that when you, if you're driving or get or on a boat, but you have the same amount of risk, in my opinion. Even if you're in a car and it's just you and the people in your car, even if it's just you, the amount of times that you could stop in areas in the United States, one of the advisories from the Canadian, from Canadians, uh, Canadian, can, the, the Canadian advisories when we were coming back into the United States, the, as they were talking to Canadian citizens, is that some of these places in the United States don't even require you to wear a mask, boo-boo, so you might want to be careful about that. And so you mean to tell me that is perfectly cool? And here's the other thing. In, the, in Canada, please don't let them fool you. First off, all of the stereotypes that we have about Canada, I wish they would die in a, in a horrible fire. Because what we see on TV, which is mostly just lily white and super sweet and all of that stuff, baby, the racism is the exact same. The uh, bigotry is the exact same. And there are a whole bunch more black and brown people than they show you on TV. Now, maybe because we were in Toronto, that it's a little, it might be a little different. Like it, Toronto is the fourth largest uh, city in North America. It go Mexico City. This, this, what, um, this is what our Pakistani, no, no, he wasn't from Pakistan. No, 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 no. This guy wasn't from Pakistan. Um, yeah, no, no, no. The, so we had we had uh, black car drivers the whole time, which I felt fancy. Um, but anyway, um, I think one of our um, drivers. First off, I didn't have we didn't have a single driver that was younger than fifty five, which and all of them were in like suits, maybe not full suits, but they were like slacks with like these really dress, they were dressy. And I'm just like, I feel rich, which is probably the norm out there. And probably, I don't know if you get a black car here or something like that. Maybe that's how folks drive, drivers drive, but I felt pretty fancy. Anyway, what was my point? My point was that our drivers were from all over the place. Well, not just our drivers, like everybody. That whole city where we were, it was like super diverse. Super de duper diverse. And everybody was just chilling and being cool. And I'm like, why don't I see this on TV about Toronto? You know what I see on TV about um, Canada? A whole bunch of white people making jokes that aren't a whole lot funny. Um, I'm talking about Leonard Kent, Leonard Lit- Litter. Kenny, Kitty, whatever, that dumb show. It's not very funny at all. And it's just dumb humor. And even, it's just dumb. I hate it. Um, And I keep getting recommended that on Hulu and I don't know why. Um, Maybe because I watched it a few times thinking that it was going to not be stupid and it ended up being dumb. But, you know, that's not my comedy. But, um, but no, I just keep seeing a bunch of lily white shows with a few castmates of color sprinkled in there and then you hear about all of the atrocities that have happened for against indigenous kids and women that's what all I know about Canada that's that's the uh, that's what I know about Canada all of these tv shows and stuff and they love hockey I didn't realize how much they loved hockey until we went over there and saw that it was on all the tv shows but um it was all over the tv but um no, I just, I wish that I could see more. But then again, I long for more on U.S. TV. So I don't know why I'm tripping. Like, you got to dig for good content, good, diverse content. And when I'm saying diverse, I'm talking about, I, I don't want a show that is like a, uh, a brown version of a white show. I want a show that is uniquely 
a part of the Asian diaspora, uh, uniquely a part of the indigenous diaspora, um, uniquely a part of all, come on, that's what I want. That's what I want. I don't want like, anyway. And so I, I don't know why I assumed that it would be any different watching Canadian TV than it is watching US TV. And even as I'm talking this out, I feel stupid for assuming that the, the main TV that you're watching, the, the prime um, mainstream TV would be reflective of the country in a way that makes sense, because it's clearly not. Um, but anyway, it just seeing it on TV and I'm like, oh, so I got to turn it to BET to see, <laughs> to see people, to see black folks. How, where, where do I turn it to see, where do I turn it to see, um, Asian folks? Where do I turn it in, 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 to see, um, indigenous folks? It, I don't, I didn't know the channel. And so that's on me to learn more about the, you know, the, the onus is on me and I understand it. Um, seeking out the podcasts that are talking about the things, seeking out the shows that are that are just being cool. Because I just didn't see that. Anyway, but I'll, I'll do my due diligence. But anyway, I was, it was interesting to see that most of the folks that we interact with, not just in the service industry, mind you, literally just out there. We were not far where we stayed. We weren't far from a couple of hospitals. Um, where we stayed, we were not far from a very big entertainment. I don't know if it's big, but it was a, like a little mini, this little entertainment center that we were near. Actually, I'll just say we were near, um, we stayed near the young Dundas, uh, live entertainment square, young Dundas square, which, uh, in Toronto, which, um, has live entertainment and stuff. And so when we were there, there was some rapper um, who we saw in, in real life and didn't realize he was like somebody big. And I think he's like, he hasn't made it like globally, but I think he's like big in Canada. And anyway, or at least big in Toronto. And he had, he's brown skin and he had uh, locks. And anyway, he was just chilling in Young Dundas Square, and my daddy walked right past him, and I think they, they, he said, what's up to him? Like, he didn't have our entourage around him or anything like that, but daddy said, what's up to him? Um, and then later later that night, like, probably midday, and later that night, we see he on um, TV, right around the corner from where we were staying in Dundas Young, uh, Young Dundas uh, Square. Um, yeah, and so this, this, this little square looks something like um, Times Square. It's like a baby version of Times Square. I could say that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a baby version of Times Square. And I don't know if that was intentional. It's probably intentional. Um, but yeah, there was just a lot happening over in that little square. But I don't know why I got off on a tangent. Um, what I was saying is, it just doesn't make it. Let me get back to the, my main point before I move on. Um, it seems wild to me that the rules would be completely different from entering either country um, from plane than it is from um, boat or car. Because even though you might have the, at least let the the standards be the same for boat uh, as it is for airplane. Because if you're talking, if you're saying that by airplane, you're going to run into more travelers then wouldn't the same be true for a freaking boat where you just squozed into a confined space just like you are on a freaking plane? And at least if you're in a car, at least you can limit the amount of people that you come in contact with, even though what we know is that some of these northern states don't have the same. Some of them actually just, you don't even have to be coming from a northern state. You could literally be driving from Florida. And well, we all know that a lot of the southern, southern states do not have this, none of the Southern states have the same um, strict masking rules um, that some of the Northern states have. And even then, like, even in, it'd be so arbitrary, y'all. But anyway, like, you could still be a carrier, bring it a, a, a car full of people who are probably asymptomatic or even not asymptomatic, um, symptomatic, just thinking they have a sinus infection because they don't believe in the COVID. 
driving through your um, port. And now again, I don't know. I didn't say this before, but I'm saying it now. I don't know. Like, I don't even think they're testing. No, they're not. Literally, when I was looking at the advisory, um, entering from either side, they were saying, no, nah, we don't require any of those tests. Just have your passport. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. So anyway, but that don't make no sense. So anyway, so we did that. And then getting back into the United States, I was scared because, you know, we didn't, uh, obviously, newsflash, we didn't have the right test. We needed to get an antigen test from a certified clinician or someone who, volunteer clinician, what have you. Um, And of course, there was no one-pager from the Canadian government helping us to understand where the heck we find them. We come across the border with some tests, thinking that that was going to do us since the, the time frame was different. And, and again, coming from the United States, coming into the, no, sorry, from Canada, coming into the United States, all you need is an antigen test. Um, and so you can get an antigen test from anywhere, but you have to have a specific one. And so it's better for you to go to a pharmacy somewhere in, in um, Canada and make sure you're doing it within the time frame. Well, of course, we went to a pharmacy and got our test, but we didn't do it in the time frame that the U.S. required. The U.S. requires 24 hours, not three, three days. It's 24 hours for an antigen test. And so we messed up and we didn't get, we weren't, we weren't able to get an appointment to get an antigen test within 24 hours of us leaving. So we ended up, but we were in luck because we were flying out of Pearson Airport. And they were like, oh, no, no, it's cool. In our, um, we didn't turn a couple of floors in our parking, in this particular parking structure, into a clinic. So it's cool. You can come on out here, but you're going to pay for it. And so of course we had to pay for it because they were not going to let us, they were not going to let us go through customs without having our, um, the results from our tests. And of course we paid more. Um, but anyway, we did the rigmarole, but my thing was like, wouldn't it have been so cool if there was a one pager for coming into, 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 for, for a one pager for entering either country. And oh, don't forget, because there are, because the thing that tripped me out is Canada do have a checklist. They do have a traveling checklist. And so do the United States. They do have a a traveler's checklist. But because they call themselves putting up evergreen information during this time. So in other words, it's just true enough and also just vague enough that they can't paint themselves into a corner that a person, if they, if, if the rules have changed slightly and, and someone followed it to a T that they can't somehow slip through a loophole, which I think is funny because this thing is still fraught with loopholes because there's nothing that says you can't drive, you can't fly into the, into either country and then drive into another one, into the other, like drive out, fly in and drive out. There's nothing that says that, that you can't do that. Like nothing. What they gonna do? There's, you don't get stamps. You do not get stamps. You get a sticker. You get a sticker on the outside of your passport. You do not get stamps on the inside of your passport. So you can tell them whatever. It do not matter. But I'm quite sure somebody's writing something down somewhere. And so maybe there would be a question asked, well, you flew in. Why are you driving out? So anyway, I don't know. I just, I think... I think I, I sound grumpy because the whole experience, the whole traveling experience felt like a mistake. Even though we had such fun in Toronto, even though we got to see that Toronto was so much more, and I'm pretty sure people had been, been saying this, but Toronto is not super reflective of what they show on TV. That is super cool and it's super diverse, which made me feel comfortable. I felt comfortable in a, a diverse environment. Because Baltimore is diverse. I don't like being... Anyway, it was, it's diverse and cool. Everybody was just cool. And the fashions were all right. They, you know, they were trying to do a little something. But, you know, I, I will definitely go back to Toronto. But I'm going to have to wait. I'm going to have to chill just a little bit. Because traveling internationally over a holiday is... That's a bold move. That's a bold move. Um, cause they make you pay 
They make you pay left and right if you don't if you don't have your plan together, if you don't have if you're not on your P's and Q's, first off, you're paying a lot regardless, more than you would have before COVID, right? But now they're getting you. If you don't do your due diligence, they're getting you. If you don't understand a certain thing and then you wait for them to tell you, oh baby, you paying. And you paying a lot. And so that's what we experienced. But you know, the experience the overall experience traveling was pretty cool. Um, because we got to see Niagara. And I am here to tell you, I don't think there's ever a bad time to see Niagara. I'm sure it's beautiful in the summertime, of course, and you can do more things in the summertime than you can in the winter. But dear, it is magnificent. And, and it's to have the opportunity to lay your eyes on a powerful, old... Attraction. It, I, I don't know what the proper term is. Attraction is the only thing that comes up to me. But to put to feast your eyes on the magnificence that is a waterfall, not to mention one of the most powerful waterfalls in North America, if not the most powerful in North America. It was rainy the day before, so we went on Christmas Day. Um, and a very smartly dressed. Uh, South Asian guy drove us on Christmas Day. So, of course, we had to tip him heavy. Um, and he was giving us, like, an educational tour the entire time. It was so cool. Um, and you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it was maybe it was some of the older gentlemen that drove us around because none of the young folks wanted to drive around Christmas time, which makes sense. But we had tipped heavy. We tipped heavy every time. So it's whatever. Um, we sure did bless, um, cab drivers and, um, these black car drivers because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to bless them because they don't have to do this. This is something that they're doing, um, as a hustle, you need somebody to drive you. So like, be cool about it anyway. And because it's a holiday, be real cool about it. Because like, if you're going on vacation, you already supposed to have the money in your pocket anyway. You, you're not supposed to drive anyway. You're supposed to have the money in your pocket anyway. If you don't have it in your pocket to tip well, come on, do better. Anyway, so, but he was giving us the whole story and driving us around and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, there's a lot of cool history behind Niagara Falls. There's also a lot of sad, grim history around Niagara Falls. Um, but... To see Niagara Falls up close and personal on this particular day, Christmas Day, it had it had snowed on Christmas Eve, but to, on that day it was raining. On Christmas Day it was raining in uh, Niagara. It was about a mile, it was about a an hour drive from Toronto. And if you have the opportunity to get on to go to Niagara, it is kind of cooler to enter from the Canadian side. Because the the falls face the Canadian side. Excuse me. Whereas if you're entering from the American, the American side, they're facing away from you. Um, not that it's not as majestic. You're still seeing this powerful living thing. But and all the energy that it's producing. But like you just see it from a different angle on the Canadian side. Anyway. But it was rainy that day. And it wasn't, I would, I would say it was drizzly. I wouldn't say that it was rainy, it was drizzly. And if you stayed outside all day and you didn't have any covering, you'd be soaked. Um, but anyway, there was a moment where we were at the mouth of, of one of the largest falls on the, the um, Niagara. And it almost felt like it was creating its own weather system. Like there was already overcast. It was already rainy and there were cloud cover but it felt like it produced its own little baby cloud right at the mouth of it and so you begin to hear about you know you 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 begin to think about if you know the history of Niagara you begin to think about the Maid of the Mist and I'm not talking about the boat I'm talking about literally the legend of the Maid of the Mist google it and you begin to think about some of the myths that are told about how 
you just begin to think of the beauty of the thing and you begin to think of how old it is. And then you look at the water and this water, and I don't know if it was turned, if it appeared this color, if it appears this color all the time, but it was a, you know how when you see You know how when you see people vacationing in, um, or if you've ever been to a Caribbean beach, and depending on the time of day or what ha- what have you, the beach is like a blue-green, the water's like a blue-green, and depending on where you are, it's just like a really rich, more green than blue. The Niagara water was this rich green not a dark green but it was like a blue green but it was pale blue it actually looked like emerald it almost looked like a natural emerald like one of those emeralds that hasn't been cleaned up just yet that they just plucked it from the earth that's the color the Niagara looked and I don't know if it's because of the minerals that are in the water probably right because the minerals that are in the river the Niagara River that make it that color but it was something about that emerald green juxtaposed against the dark browns of the rocks against the white gray of the sky and the brown of the bark of the trees the the dead trees or the hibernating trees it was something about that color palette that was so magnificent to me coupled by the fact of you could you know you could the soundtrack of the river and the and the waterfall itself if you've never been make your make an opportunity to go make your opportunity to go and at this point i think i want to be around a bunch of waterfalls like big waterfalls like, I'm I, I, the next waterfall that I want to see now is uh, what is it? Victoria Falls in, in Guyana. Whatever that big, magnificent waterfall in Guyana is, I want to see that next. That's on my bucket list. Waterfalls are on my bucket list now because the Niagara did it, did it for me. And I've been close to the Niagara before. I have before, but I've never been this close to the Niagara. And now I want to experience waterfalls because, duh. Anyway, so yeah, so experience Niagara and then all the rigmarole of going to and fro from the United States to Canada. So again, hats off to you guys who are still traveling abroad. I pray that you get home when you want to. I pray that you get home healthy and everybody that you travel with is healthy. And I pray that your family is good as well. And I pray that you get a hug that you want. You know, the hug that you need from the person that you want to be hugged from. Um, Or just be close to, if you're not a hugger. I get it. Um, But I hope somebody that you want to pay attention to you pays attention to you and gives you the love and affection that you need. Anyway, um, but that's the goes for everybody. Even if you're not traveling, I'll pray that for you. Um, Because ain't nothing like attention that you want from somebody that you want it from. Or a hug any sort of sign of affection from that you appreciate from somebody that you love, whatever love looks like for you. Um, everybody should have that. Everybody deserves that anyway. Um, but yeah, so Archbishop Desmond Tutu passed away and I don't know what of, Oh, I think he was battling with cancer. And so today the, I think he's being eulogized today um, in South Africa. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know how much I feel about him other than I know that he was a pivotal figure, and they're saying this now, that he was a, well, they're reminding us of what it, what it is, is that he was a pivotal figure and, and one of the reasons why apartheid was even disbanded in South Africa. And that he went to go on and champion for human rights for all man, all humankind, 
Um, I, I just remember seeing, growing up and seeing him with Richard Branson. So I was seeing this man of faith laughing and smiling and being joyous next to this guy who was not of faith, who's an uber billionaire. And I remember, I don't even know what it was about. It was like an MTV TV show or something like that. I don't, I don't, I can't call it. But some sort of project put them together. And I remember seeing them together and learning that they were friends and thinking, oh, this white man is just trying to. I'm hypercritical of, of white folks. I just I just am. Um, not that I'm not hypercritical of black and brown folks. It's just I'm critical of white folks in a different way because because the onus is on all of us, but there's particular, oh, I'm not even explaining this. You know why the onus, there's more onus on white people than there is on brown people. But anyway, I'm looking at this and, and my first, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, he's happy. He's having fun talking about Desmond, um, Bishop Desmond Tutu. But then I was thinking, is he this guy's token to make him feel good? Cause like, some rich people do that. They like collect brown people. Especially the higher the title. The higher the title. And uh, I don't know. It just it felt a little funny to me. But at the same time, it also felt like these two people were having fun in this moment. So I don't know. I put it I put it in the back of my head and I didn't think too much about it. But when Bishop Tutu passed away, that was one of the first memories that popped up in my head. Which was kind of frustrating because his the sum of Bishop Tutu's whole life was not boiled down to his relationship with Richard Branson. By the way, if you don't know who, who the heck I'm talking about, that's the, um, the founder of Virgin. And that huge conglomerate. I don't even know what happened to Virgin. Like, but dude is, is, I own my own island rich. Like, big island rich. Anyway, um... But yeah, like the sum of Bishop Tutu's, Desmond, uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu's life is not boiled down to his relationship with Richard Branson, an uber rich white guy, but like all of the things that he did in his life. And if you don't know what he's done, there's so many different stories across the globe from international web, uh, news sources that are sharing his life's work. Um, I'm quite sure not everybody in South Africa loved him because, you know, you one of these things that I hope we are moving towards, and certainly the younger generation has this, is, is learning this, I'm hoping, that your heroes are human. Um, but there's, they can still be your heroes and still have flaws. You, two things could be true at once. And so, you know, on the one hand, I'm thinking this dumb thought, oh, he lived a long life. But like, who is to say what your lifespan should be? For believers, it's God. However you believe, we believe God says how long your, your lifespan should be. But what we do as humans is decide, oh, 90 is enough. 90 means you lived a good life. You lived a long life. You didn't sing a lot. You didn't did some things. We accept that you can go now. And that's a pretty crappy way to feel. It's a pretty crappy and crass response to that. And I rebuke that even in me. Because certainly that was something that I felt. And I've said it a million, millions of times. Well, not millions of times, but I've said it too many times to count. And I said it for Bishop Desmond Tutu. But I regret that I said that. And I do take it back because who knows what more he could have how many, who knows how many more lives he could have been able to touch. But at the end of the day, how I believe, that was his time. But not because he had lived a long enough life. We don't know. That's, I believe he was fighting an, uh, an illness. Had he not been fighting an illness, he might have lived long, much longer. So I'm, I'm trying to get rid of that little birdie voice that says that foolishness, you know? A loss is a loss is a loss, no matter what age it comes from. And someone who's younger is not more, who, who passes away, someone who passes away at a young age should not be more hurtful than someone who passes away as an old age. There's, this isn't a competition. 
it still hurts. This person is still gone. This person is still absent from the body. You know? But anyway, so he's being eulogized um, as I'm talking. Um, And so, yeah, if you don't know anything about Bishop Desmond Tutu, this would be a perfect time to look up all the myriad things that he accomplished. And, you know, take a moment. Take a moment to honor that life if you choose to. Um... And then just speaking of loss, just in general, this these last two weeks in my sphere of people that are that I'm touched by and are touched by me, there's been a lot of loss, a lot of death. And I can't believe that it's just me. And so going back to that point that I made about I hope you get a hug. I pray that you get a hug or the 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 term of the the type of affection that you want from a person that you want it from. I really mean that because when I'm telling you people are losing loved ones left and right at a time where we're all supposed to be super upbeat and joyous and all of that stuff. For the holidays, you know, that superficial, oh, you should be with your family for the holidays. Well, what if one of your, what if a key member of your family or what if a family member that you really liked is no longer in the, is absent from the body now? I need there to be national campaigns. And I did see something on MTV, which made me smile. It was something like a headspacey type of thing, but I have been seeing some mental health reports um, or, or a little mental health light, mental health safety light um, commercials these days, but not nearly enough. We need to talk about grief openly. We need to talk about it openly because I can't think of a single family that I know that has not been touched by grief. Even in my extended family, even in my, my social media family, I can't think of anyone who has not been touched by grief in this two-year period now that we're working on living with COVID and the surges. So if you're like me and you recognize this, just take a moment to not only pray for comfort for yourself, but pray for comfort for the folks around us. And take a moment to be a little bit more kind. We're all a little paranoid. Maybe not all of us. Some of us are just blissfully ignorant, living out here just doing our, doing our thing. And we should oh, limit our contact with those folks. If that's you, reevaluate yourself. Because this is, um, what did I hear? I heard a TikTok creator say something, and I forget her name even now. She is a huge disability rights advocate. Um... But actually, it's not just her. This is the, I've heard this particular phrase, at least I've paid attention to hearing this particular phrase, and shame on me for saying that, but I've paid attention to this particular phrase said over the last three days. We have been in a mass, um, what'd you say, a mass disabling event? I don't think they, I don't think she used, did she use, did they use that term? The sentiment, for, for regardless of the term, I think I'm messing it up. The sentiment was, is that COVID is changing folks' lives and now they're not able to do the things that they were able to do. So now they're, you know, having heart issues, having breathing issues. Everybody understands the breathing issues at this point, which means now that they have to, um, they don't. They cannot go back to their normal, their the life as it was, and so now their life has changed, which also means they probably can't work the way that they have been were able to work before, or do the things that they were able to do before, which will mean that they qualify now. A mass disabling event. I do think that that's what they said, because many of these folks now do qualify for to get um, apply for disability. And we were thinking about it in the terms of uh, the U.S. So I understand that health systems, other countries' health systems are different. 
But in the United States, you have to have ha- experienced a disabling event <clears throat> or a situation or it has to be something has ha- had to have happened to you where your quality of life is completely changed or you were born that way. But in, but there are certain steps that you have to take in order to qualify and then apply for and then receive um, benefits based on your condition. And so what folks in the, I don't want to, I want to be correct. I don't want to be offensive in the community who are living with disabilities. I'll just say it like that. Cause I don't know another way to say it um, and not feel like I'm being stupid. But anyway, um, so I've heard three different advocates in that community um, say this phrase that we're living in a mass disabling event and we and the federal government needs to respond appropriately. That was the whole point of them saying that was to bring attention to the inadequacy and ineptitude of our, uh, our government and, and how even under Biden, it's not super different. And I know that might offend folks. I know that might offend folks, but that message that he just gave that we can't federally handle COVID restrictions that's going to have to be handled on the state level didn't sit right with me because that's not any different than what Trump was saying at all. And I thought Biden was supposed to be completely different. Anyway, I'm digging in too much. I I don't want to talk too much politics, but I'm feeling a little disillusioned at the moment. So just pray for me. Um, Anyway, but regardless of political leanings, Um, our federal government should respond differently to this because there's a whole lot of people whose lives are completely changed if they've been able to, they've been blessed enough. Well, no, they have been, oh, I don't want to say that other folks have not been blessed. Excuse me for, as I kind of work through this, but for those who have survived COVID and whose lives are completely changed, they need real good support. And now at this point, every one of us is going to get COVID. It's just a question of when. If we have, if we haven't already had it and didn't know it. Cause again, that asymptomatic piece is kicking me in the teeth right now. Cause I am not, I'm, I'm tripping hard. I have been tested four times in the last week on purpose and I'm negative, and now I'm thinking I should be testing myself every week. And I think I'm going to start doing that if I can afford it, and that's the thing. So I have the privilege to be able to think about testing every week. A lot of people don't. But anyway, I'm (laughs) moving off on another tangent, so let me just move off. Let me move away from that and just say, come on, y'all, let's all be safe. Let's do our due diligence. And at this rate, I will say this. Everybody test yourself every week. If you can afford it, just get yourself some tests every week. Because at this point, we're all going to get it. And I hate that. I hate that idea. It's been two years, though. Well, it'll be two years in March. Let's just start testing ourselves. Let's keep wearing masks. And let's just keep getting vaccinated. Because at this point, I want another vaccine. I had my booster in December, December 1st. On Mar- in March, I won another booster. Feels like I want another booster because the people that I know that have had the booster and got it, it was just like a, their symptoms were not severe. They did not require hospitalization and they were recouped pretty fast. And by fast, I mean, it took them no longer than the, getting a really bad version of the common cold to heal from. Like, they healed within, after symptoms appeared, they healed within three days, four days max. Um, So they were down, what, a total of a week? And then they went on about their business. And then, you know, and they began to test, uh, their their test began to be less positive. You know, because, you know, if you take the home test, it's like a pregnancy test, right? If you have a little bit of the, uh, pregnancy gene um, present, it'll just be light pink. But if you have a whole lot of the pregnancy uh, 
not gene, but the pregnancy stuff in you. Oh my gosh, that sounded terrible. But um, if you have more of the hormones, pregnancy hormones is what I really meant to say. Uh, If you have more of the pregnancy hormones pregnant, then it'll be a dark pink, right? Uh, If you're getting one of the cheaper tests, if you're getting one of the more expensive tests, it'll just say pregnant or not pregnant, whatever. But if you're getting the cheaper ones, it'll be light pink. And then if you do it again, it'll be dark pink if you have more of the pregnancy hormone in you. Well, the same is true for COVID. If you have less of the um, uh, virus present, it'll be a lighter. If it's present, but like less so, it'll be lighter in color, the, the, the strip. But if you have more of it, it'll be darker in color. And the ones that I've seen, what is it, Bionex, Biotex, whatever, that's pink too. So the pink, the pink analogy applies. Anyway, so yeah, just take it. If you can afford it, get you some tests and just start taking it so that you can know what you're doing and so that you can know when to isolate. Jiminy freaking Christmas. And when to stop isolating. Jiminy freaking Christmas. I don't know what the CDC talking about. Anyway, um, who knows? Anyway, um, but yeah, let me go on and switch. Let me go on and switch um, gears really quickly and talk about because I'm going I'm to end this in less than 15 minutes because I don't want to keep y'all. I don't want to hold y'all forever. Um, I'm going to switch this thing up and we're just going to talk super fantasy right now. So we're talking Insecure. Insecure on for four years. Um, if you've been riding with Issa Rae since YouTube days, um, Awkward Black Girl days, and the ups and downs of her... If you've been riding with her since the Awkward Black Girl days, or you've been fortunate enough to take the time recently to sh- watch all of her Insecure shows, plus watch Awkward Black Girl shows, you get a sense of who Issa is as um, a creator um, and what her point of view is. And if you read that awkward book that she wrote Um, And the controversy that she wrote about black women and Asian men should probably just be together because her rationale was it was just weird. It was very weird. Um, But nevertheless, you know what type of creator she is. You know that her content, it's not because black folks are not a monolith. It's not for everyone. But it was for a lot of folks. And for a time, it was for me. Awkward. I really resonated. Awkward black girl got me through a very lonely period um, in my life when I was, I discovered that show when I was trying to figure out where I wanted to set root. I initially started watching it when I was in Syracuse and then I really watched it. No, that's not true. I started watching it right before I left college and then I continued watching it in, um, when I was in Syracuse and then I, I, I finished watching it. I guess I watched everything and the series was over. Um, by the time I had moved to Baltimore and I'd been here for some months. And so, and by that time, like I would, I was super lonely in Syracuse because that was not the place that I wanted to live. I knew that was not the place I wanted to live. And then I could, as a result, I did not feel comfortable setting root there, which means I didn't have a lot of friends there. And so during the winter time, I, you know, I was only there for a year and the way the term works, it was January to January for the most part. And so it was just for the last three months of my time there, it was just slowly getting colder. And then the last month I was just cold and I was like, well, where the heck am I going to go? And so I ended up coming here to Baltimore and it got me through the rest of the cold months because, you know, February, March. And then by the summertime, I was cool. I was, I set root. I'd had my you know, my druthers on and I was, you know, moving and shaking and figuring out Baltimore. I was making friends, setting root and, you know, going on with my life. So that I credit that show for being one of the things that in the Wendy Williams radio show, no lie. Like I have to give credit where credit is due. I did not always like her methods. I did not always like how she did things. Well, the same thing as methods. Um, I didn't always like her approach, the same thing as methods anyway. I did not always like her methods, but I felt like she she was a part of that between Awkward Black Girl and uh, Wendy Williams when she was on BLS, WBLS in New York. Listening to that radio show, that really got me through some very lonely moments 
in Syracuse. And, you know, so I, when, when the Awkward Black Girl went off, I kept watching the shows until I moved on to something else because I wanted to consume black content. I, I was in, that was at the point where I was intentionally, con- when I moved to Syracuse, that's when I began to really intentionally consume black content black creator content. When I, even when I was in college and I was co- uh, cosplaying um, black, uh, woke black woman, I still wasn't consuming black media like that. I mean, I kind of was with all the books that I was reading, but like I wasn't, it wasn't a, a lifestyle. It was again, a performance. And so when I moved to Syracuse, I dropped the performance and I began to craft what, who I was. And I knew I wanted to support black creators. Um, I, I didn't have that language at the time, but that's what I was doing. And so by the time I moved to Baltimore, that was fully in me. And then when the show went off, I started to consume other black creator content and all of that stuff. And, and, um, and yeah, so the show went off and then, you know, there were rumors for years that she was going to get an actual HBO show, but it never came to fruition. And then when it did, of course I watched it. Me and my friends, we watched it. We talked about it. You know, I really feel like my life moved and grew with hers. Well, with her creative life. Well, with the public creative life. And so anyway, while Insecure did not represent me in total, certainly, you know, I'm Greek. Black Greek I'm a member of a Black Greek letter organization. I'm a leader in my black Greek letter organization. And I also work, I work with black Greeks through the NPHC, which Google that anyway. Um, and so I see a lot of the stereotypes of that whole, the myth of the talented 10th, um, and the privilege and the colorism and the sexism and the misogyny and the homophobia. I see it all. I also see the balance there. I see the good there and I also see the not so good there. I also see, you know, trying to make your own way in life and not trying to be a douchebag while you're doing it um, and trying to be true to who you are. And I didn't struggle in the same way, but I got where she was coming from and trying to figure out who she was. Because I felt like, you know, we all go through that. You all, we all kind of go through the growing pains of figuring out who the heck we are and how we want to move in this world. Some of us are luckier than others to figure it out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I count myself as lucky that I figured out how I wanted to move and shake because I just could not bear to do the things that didn't move me, move me in my soul. And I'm in a place, I've said this before, but I'm in a place where I can merge my faith with my advocacy and get a paycheck. Now, mind you, does that always soothe my soul at night? No, because they don't always gel well together. But for the most part, oh, and my, excuse me, my faith, my advocacy, my Greek life, and I get a paycheck. That that moves me. Is it, does it all sit harmoniously together? No, not all the time. Because there are a lot of personalities and, and things moving and shaking, but that's what we saw. That's what we saw, we, we saw for the most part in Insecure. And we saw her make mistakes in that show. We certainly saw her make mistakes in the, in, in, or at least logic leaps in this last episode that weren't pretty, but it was an ending. Was it the ending that we all wanted? No, but it had to end. And isn't that like, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like poetic because that's, that's like real life. Is it the ending we always want? No. But the show got the ending it deserved. And in the end, somebody beautifully said to me, at, at, well, not to me, but they just said, and I was, I think they were saying it on a podcast. Actually, I've seen, heard a bunch of people on different podcasts say this. But the real love story in, in Insecure was not Issa and Lawrence. It's Issa and Molly. Now, did I want more of that ending? Did I want more information behind that ending? Absolutely. Did I want Kelly... Did I not, did I disapprove of Kelly meeting a man and then wanting, and then wanting to have a baby with this man? Yeah, I disapproved because I have, 
you can be a single woman. You can be a single, you can be a successful woman who is partnered and still not won't have kids. Like, I want us to let that narrative go. I want it to, I want that particular narrative that in order for you to feel complete, you need to have a partner and you need to have a kid. I need that to, I need us, I need that narrative to die in a horrible fire. And I apologize if that, that analogy offends anybody, but I want that, I want that narrative to go away is, is what I really want to say. Because how many, if you look back on your life and be honest, how many parents have you known or do you know now that really shouldn't be parents? And what I'm saying is they really, like they do the bare minimum because they can't bear to do any more. Like they look at being a parent as a burden. Or better yet, maybe you not you maybe you really can't tell that right because you don't really have those conversations with the people around you, and you don't want to judge. Which good for you for not being a judgy judge judge because I struggle with judgment. Anyway, um, so let's say you're not you don't look into all of that. How many times have you seen on social or you've heard in passing this joke? Oh, I want one in reference to a baby. When and and, and usually and also in reference to somebody seeing a cute baby. Or a a cute baby that's done something, that's done something interesting. How many times have you seen it? How many times have you seen it? Come on now. I'm not by myself. You may not be in the gutter with me in the judgment area, but you've definitely, you've definitely seen those jokes made several times. Some people are not meant to be parents, but our society pushes us to want parenthood. Because of legacy, and I struggle with legacy every day. I struggle with the the idea of legacy. One of the things that scares me is all the stuff that I'm going through for this fertility stuff that I'm going through. Am I going through it because I want a legacy? I want to make sure that there's we have a a legacy, or do I really have this desire to be a parent? I know I have a desire to be a parent. I do want to be a mom. Bad, I do. Shoot, I, I, I do want to, I love, I love helping kids. Will I be a perfect parent? No. Even though I've seen, I, I've, I've thought about how I will change my parenting style when they become a teenager for, and then I will change it again when they become an adult. And I understand the, the cycles now and I think I could do it. I know I, I'm going to make so many mistakes. It's stupid, but I struggle every day with recognizing, am I doing this because Somehow or another, I might be missing out on something, or do I really just want to support someone else as they grow? Because that's a desire in me. And I struggle with that. I think the overwhelming, like today, if you ask me that question, the overwhelming feeling is I want to support someone else to grow and make mistakes and then achieve goals and feel the joy of that achievement like I felt. And to have somebody in their corner for realsies like I have. I want that. But anyway, like I wish that trope, I I wanted Kelly to not want to have kids still and be happy as all get out in her relationship. Anyway. But yeah, like everything else ended okay. I really did not like the fact that Issa did all of that. And at this point I'm spoiling it, but you should have watched it. But um I, I regret that Issa did all of that, all of that growing and changing, only to end right back up in the end with Lawrence again. Whatever. Everybody was saying they were meant for each other and that's just the way it should have been, but my, my feeling is whatever. Anyway, that's enough about that. I told you I was going to keep it to an hour and I mean it. Um, happy New Year. It's just another day for some folks, and I understand that. For other folks, it's an opportunity to start anew, and I want that for you. I want it for myself. I'm not starting anew, but I just want to do, I want to I let go of 2021, and I want to embrace 2022. It's the year, it's the 100-year centennial of my organization, Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. There's so many things that we're going to do in the new year. There's so many things that I'm going to embark on in this new journey. I want to be a parent. I want to continue in leadership 
in my sorority. I want to, there's so many opportunities in 2022 that I want to realize that are in the works right now. And I just look forward to them. And I look forward to that success for you. All right. Until next time.